What's up, horror fans? JT from the Horror Chronicles, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. From Ryan, Breezy, and myself, we hope you guys are enjoying your holiday season as it kicks off here. Uh, Hopefully you're spending time with family and friends and loved ones and cherishing those moments and being thankful for the things we have. I know we're thankful for the time we get to spend together doing this show every week. We have a lot of fun, and we really want to thank you, our loyal listeners who have uh, stuck with us through the past year. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So we'll be back with more Tales of Terror next week. So stay tuned. There's some cool stuff coming up. You know how it goes. As always, until next time, keep it creepy. Okay, guys, so I ran across a story online. It's called The Feast of Terror. Uh, There's not much out there Thanksgiving horror-wise, but uh, this was pretty close and it was pretty cool. Uh, This actually came from a website called Freaky Folk Tales. I'm not sure who wrote this, but I'm going to read through it, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. I thought it was pretty cool. So here we go. A Feast of Terror. As Americans gather for the Thanksgiving holiday, it is perhaps time to turn the clock back to one family feast that did not raise quite as much cheer. It tells of the terrible incidents that took place on a house in Oakville, Georgia in the latter part of the 19th century. This spot had earned a high place amongst haunted localities, and in its day was comparable with the famous house in Berkeley Square. Situated in the midst of picturesque but lonely country, this house, the property of a farmer named Walsingham, had a worldwide reputation amongst physical investigators. For some time, the house had been left deserted by its owner, and it would seem that during the temporary absence of its material master, it passed into the hands of beings or forces, call them what you will, who wished to remain in undisputed possession. When Walsingham and his family decided to return and take up their abode in the house, they were struck on the very first day by a peculiar feeling of the place. They could not decide in any way what this feeling was, but on analysis likened it to claustrophobia and overpowering dread of being alone within any four walls. Their dog, Don Caesar, absolutely refused to enter the house. On being dragged in, he immediately broke out into furious barking. His back bristled with rage, and he showed every sign of terror. This occurred several times during the day and the same evening. Being attracted to the spot by his whines and howls, Walsingham saw his dog attacking some invisible enemy. Don Caesar, at last, sprang in the air as if at a man's throat, but fell back as if he had received a heavy blow. When picked up, his neck was found to be broken. The Walsingham's cat, on the other hand, manifested every sign of delight at being in the house. It strolled from room to room, purring loudly, and was seen on several occasions twisting its head from side to side and arching its back as if someone were stroking it. To say that the Walsinghams were amazed at these things would be to describe their feelings mildly. They were very much upset, but had not, as yet, any suspicion on the score of supernatural causes. 
But that evening, just towards the dusk, the house was suddenly filled with shouts, groans, and hideous laughter, heard by all the occupants and putting them into a variable panic. Miss Amelia Walsingham, while sitting in front of her mirror, saw a man's hand upon her shoulder, yet there was no reflection of it in the glass, nor was there any arm or body apparent. Walsingham himself saw footprints forming in the dust of a garden path before him as he walked, yet no mortal could be seen. But though these things were uncanny and terrifying and were sufficient to make the family realize that some force out of the usual was at work, they paled in insignificance before the latter incidents which took place during the evening meal. The family was seated at a supper with one or two guests when their conversation was suddenly interrupted by a loud and horrible groan, uttered apparently in the room above. Little notice was taken of it until one of the guests pointed out a stain of what looked like blood on the tablecloth. And it was seen then that some liquid was slowly dripping from the ceiling. This liquid was so much like freshly shed blood as to horrify those who witnessed its slow dripping. It would be hard to imagine a more gruesome occurrence at any time, but the peculiar form of this horror and the theatrical way in which it was carried out would put it down as the invention of some most evil-minded but deceitedly clever person. It flashed into the minds of all sitting at the table that some terrible deed had been committed in the room above, some frightful murder. For a few seconds, all sat silent with white faces looking out of the corners of their eyes at each other in terror. Then Walsingham shook off his paralysis of fear and ran out of the room. Followed by his son, they went quickly upstairs to the room over the dining room. They flung open the door, dreading what frightful sight their eyes would meet, but it was empty. They tore up the carpet and there found the boards to be soaked with the same red, gruesome liquid as was dripping into the room beneath. But there was no explanation, nor was any afterwards discovered. The liquid was later examined under a microscope by a medical man and pronounced to be human blood. This incident was too much for the Walsinghams and they left the house and removed to another. Walsingham's house then fell into entire disuse and stories of the occurrences began abroad. The place was shunned by day as well as by night. This neglect did not tend to make the spot look more cheerful. And it is stated that, in addition to the gloom that generally settles on the most ordinary of empty houses, there was an undoubted feeling of depression in the air around the place. Quite normal people said that it felt to them as if the atmosphere of the locality weighed more than anywhere else. The house had not been approached for several months when a young man named Horace Gunn made it the subject of a wager. Betting a friend a fair sum of money that he would stay alone in the house for one night and have no aid within call. This enthusiastic young man carried out his intention and went to the house one evening before it was dark. His story is best told in his own words. I had been in the house about an hour and nothing had happened. 
It was just beginning to get dark, and I thought that I should light a fire. Though I did not consider myself an expert in this art, I was very much surprised at being absolutely unable to do so. My matches went out one after the other, as if blown out by strong draft. Once, when I had succeeded in lighting a piece of paper, it only smoldered for a few seconds and then went out. This was bad enough, as I had to give up the idea of a cheerful blaze to keep me company. But, to my disgust, I found that my lamp would not light either. It was as if it were filled with water instead of oil. It was now quite dark, and whilst I was looking about for some means of getting a light, there came a terrible yell of pain from underneath the house, and this was the signal for an outbreak of the most hideous and devilish noises. There were shouts, screams, groans, laughter, thumping, and the continual running up and down stairs as of several heavily shod people My hair bristled, I stood by the window, particularly paralyzed with fear, and had I then been able to control my limbs, I would have fled from the house. I would have lost my wager and a hundred like it, rather than stay in that haunt of fiends. Then suddenly the noises stopped. Complete silence fell on the place. But far from reassuring me, this made matters worse. For now, I dreaded the silence even more than I had the ghostly noises. All the time I listened, listened for something. Now and then I thought I heard soft footsteps drawing near me, but it was nothing. This waiting and dreading was far worse than pandemonium of terror. I did not have long to wait for the next move, for in the darkness there suddenly appeared a small spot of grayish light on the wall opposite me. It grew larger and larger, altering in shape until it assumed the outline of a human head. Soon, it was a real head floating in the air. Its hair was long and gray and matted together, and it had a deep and jagged cut in one temple. The whole face indicated suffering and misery. The eyes were wide open and gleamed with an unearthly fire. While they seemed to direct their gaze upon me, the head moved about the room, but always the eyes were turned in my direction. Then it vanished, but there broke out in the room a loud and awe-inspiring wail as of several souls in anguish. I thought then that I could see indistinct shapes filtering through the night, and mustering up all my courage, I attempted to pass them and gain access to the door, but just as I reached it, I felt my ankle seized in a firm grasp. I was thrown down and felt fingers grasping at my throat. At this point, Mr. Gunn's story ceases. He was found by his friends the next morning unconscious on the floor by the door and bearing on his throat the marks of long, thin fingers with cruel, curved nails. After the experience, no one was found to have anything more to do with the house, though a few people interested in such matters attempted to find out some reason for the terrible haunting. Though several avenues of investigation were explored, nothing very conclusive was discovered. 
The house had by this time acquired such an evil reputation that no one would occupy it, and it was ultimately demolished. Many human bones were found under it and in its grounds. How they came to be there was never known, but it was supposed that they had lain there for many years and were the bones of people who might have been murdered when the house was a roadside inn or, you know, a very bad repute. And herein perhaps lies an explanation for the hauntings at the house. A few days before returning to the house, Mr. Wilsingham, having discovered in the ground some old, dry bones and not able to decide whether they were human or not, settled the matter as he thought by ordering them to be thrown into the lime kiln. Is it possible that the spirits of the men whose bones were thus so indecently treated summoned to their aid certain dark forces in order to make the place uninhabitable by mortals in revenge for the insult offered to their remains. A Feast of Terror. Pretty cool story. Got to give props out to uh, to this website, Freaky Folk Tales. You know, like I said, there's not a lot of Thanksgiving stuff out there, but this was pretty close, and it was a pretty cool little story. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back next week with uh, some other tales of terror. Uh, I'm not quite sure what we're doing yet, and even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you, because I'm that guy. But uh, anyway, we, uh, we just wanted to put a little something out, and I hope you enjoyed it. So from all of us at uh, the Horror Chronicles, happy Thanksgiving, and until next time, keep it creepy. Peace,